Hello everyone, bonjour à tous, I hope you're well, so we're back on this third episode of Freeborn Podcast, and today I'm happy to receive Sushitra, so how are you? Oh my god, I'm so excited to do this, I'm so excited to see you as a host. Ah, thank you, yeah, I'm so happy to have you here today, and it's amazing to having her today because she has a huge impact on women and an incredible journey, so I'm so excited about this interview. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Eva. Really, oh, it's, fine. it's an honor. And uh, can you introduce yourself and what you're doing to start this conversation? Sure. Um, so, hi, everyone. My name is Suchitra Sevasankaran. I am of Indian origin and I've been brought up in the Middle East in a beautiful city called Muscat. And um, I'm an engineer by trade and I'm currently an entrepreneur who's building a brand in the mental fitness space. It's called Inside and Out. I'm also a coach. So um, I guess life to me right now is a multi-hyphenate word. So yeah, that's a little bit of me in a nutshell. Okay, great. And how was your childhood? How is my childhood? So I um, grew up in, in Muscat and my... My family is just my parents and my sister and me, my younger sister. I think we grew up in a very nice, like, tight-knit household where, you know, my dad had uh, certain principles around eating meals together. We hung out a lot. We traveled a lot. We did a lot of things together as a family. So I, I think uh, it was a lot of fun. And then growing up in Muscat, it was very... Like the childlike innocence mm -hmm. lasted for a very long time. So I always related to like a famous five or a secret seven or a Hardy Boys or Nancy Drew. Like I had a lot of fun outdoors, lots of friends from different parts of the world because my dad was working for a cement company. Oh. So I really had, I think, a very nice childhood that that lasted for a really long time in the sense of being innocent and staying childlike. Um One of the, the other aspects around that was that even though we were away from India, my dad's parents, uh, my dad's side has a big family. And uh, my dad's parents are very deep-rooted in patriarchy per se. Like, it, you know, I think it's, it's common around many parts of the world, but it's just that it was interesting as a child to experience it so strongly mm -hmm. in my house because my mom is a good 10 years younger than my dad. And my dad... And my mom got bullied a lot because they have two daughters and no sons in the wow. house. Okay. And in the process, from a very young age, I would notice that my mom's way of handling that bullying was to play victim or cry. And my dad's way of handling it was to be very progressive and give my sister and me as many opportunities to be a human, not a woman or a man. And he kind of, I think, was working, if I look at it now, is working on himself to, to go beyond those gender biases because we never felt at home that we were, because we're women, we can't do something. Mm -hmm. But I always felt the pressure that they were going through because my mom and dad would have arguments because of that or my mom would, you know, look like I had to take care of her because she's, mm -hmm. you know, let's say, feeling bad about something that's been told to her and I'm kind of, coddling her from a young age like I'm saying don't worry like you know don't worry and things okay. like that and in the process I think what it did to me is because my parents were standing up so much for my sister and me you just felt this obligation that I have to make it like whatever okay. make it mm -hmm. is right I just have to because I had to make that pain worth it 
And then I also felt watching what my parents were going through on like such a regular basis. I, I think I developed anger as a very big fuel to hit whatever I wanted to or to achieve whatever I wanted to in life. Like I was very driven with or being ambitious, but the fire underneath was aggressiveness or anger. And it's not that I realized it, but when I reflect, I do. You know, that I think it became, it became my way of achieving anything I set my mind to and kind of, you know, look at everything that played out that from, uh, from that early on, I went on to an engineering school, then I went on to work in oil and gas. I kind of kept walking into also more male-dominated uh, spaces or industries just because I think it was a way for me to also prove that I can be anything I want and gender doesn't define me in that okay. sense, you know. So that's how I would describe my childhood. I think it, it was a combination of uh, feeling very safe, but at the same time feeling this, um, you know, fire to somehow prove to, I don't know, an invisible audience yeah. or the world <laughs> that uh, you can't tell me that I can't be something because I'm woman, you know, yeah. so that's, that's how I would describe it. Okay, I get it. So you grew up in a very patriarchal environment yes. and you experienced it as a little girl with anger, with a uh, way to prove to everyone that you can made it. Yes. So how did it shape your mindset, like growing up as a woman? So, you know, I think one of the key things was to, to never actually allow being woman limit me. So I, you know, I, now when I look back, I look at it as a good and bad thing because I think I dumbed down a lot of feminine uh, energy related aspects to women like aspects to us you know I think I dumbed down a lot of those natural instincts because I looked at it as a hindrance mm -hmm. to me making it at the same time I also became like a mascot for women to be whatever we want to be because I think I was doing a lot of path breaking things which was inspiring other women to give themselves permission to do that but I felt like internally and externally, it was like a war, you know, because yeah. internally, mm -hmm. I am imbalancing myself by not honoring the feminine energy within because I was tapping too much into my masculine energy. Okay. But externally, I was able to achieve things that probably I didn't see many examples of. And I was able to inspire women who were struggling to give themselves permission to do those things. So it became like this constant war, you know, where okay. the inner, inner and the outer are somehow not able to find a balance because you are projecting and inspiring but the internals are feeling imbalanced and conflicted that I'm not really honoring being a woman right but on the outside I'm projecting like I am honoring being a woman so I think that was a struggle that I never recognized until I started to work on myself okay but that's how it affected me where I think I I was able to outward in really live differently but what was the dialogue inside was not was kind of ugly I think okay yeah. thank you so much for sharing me that yes and how did you decide to become an engineer <laughs> <laughs> so one thing Eva you have to know is I am Indian and, <laughs> <laughs> and you know it's like the time that during my generation I'm a lot older than you and during my generation in India particularly or just Indian culture doesn't matter where you grew up uh, you had a few already predestined options. You're either going to be a doctor or an engineer 
or a chartered accountant or a lawyer. Okay. And if you don't pick any of these, I don't want to use any foul language. You're just a loser. Basically, you're a failure if you don't be wow. any of these. And so one one thing that worked in my favor because I wasn't thinking outside of this box was I was really good academically. I was always a topper. I was great in math and physics and I loved coding and I was kind of a very... Uh, I was very hung like what is the word you know I was very excited about mm -hmm. school and I was really good at academia per se and so it became a natural thing for me to say you know I'm going to be this that or that but I my dad I idolize my dad a lot and he's an engineer and I kind of saw a lot of what he did and stuff and so I think I just set my mind to saying that's what I'm going to be and the time that I was entering school a uh, Everything around digital, computer science, electronics, electrical, all of that was very like the thing to be in. And I was doing really well at math and coding in school. So I just decided, yeah, that's the direction I'm going to go. It was honestly a no brainer. It's just uh, how I chose the school was a very like funny incident because when I was really young, around 11 or 12, again, my dad's dad, we were home back home in Chennai for a summer break. And I remember one of my cousins, so the school that I went to for engineering is like a really difficult school to get in. It's kind of similar to like, say, going to Harvard or mm -hmm. MIT, okay. the same kind of uh, league. And um, which school is it? It's called the Indian Institute of Technology. Okay. And just like cheap thrills, like Sundar Pichai, who is the CEO of Google, like he graduated from that school. Ah, okay. But it's really difficult to get in. And there's a lot of pride because people in there, like, like I wouldn't put myself even there to say there's some some really incredible uh, intelligence that you find amongst the pool of people that go to this school, okay? So this my granddad is just casually telling my dad that one of my cousins who is much older than me, he was the only one everyone was rooting for that he's going to go to the school. And somehow during the entrance exams or whatever, he kind of, I don't know, he fell ill or he just somehow it just wasn't his day. And so he didn't make it. And so my grandfather was commenting to my dad, like, that's it. There's going to be no one else in this family that's ever going to make it to an Indian Institute of Technology. <laughs> okay. And I was maybe 12, barely, you know, and I heard him. And already I had a lot of anger towards them for really putting my parents in this place. Like, they're not enough just because they don't have boys. They didn't birth boys in the house. And so I just, it planted a seed, you know, that not just that I'm going to do engineering, but where I'm going to do it. And it was just my answer to him because he said, no one else in this family is going to make it. And I'm like, I'll show you. It's going <laughs> to be me. So that's really how I decided engineering and with school, honestly. It's, it was just culture and a little bit of an, you know, a personal, emotional, I think, you know, like a hit to my yeah. ego. Like, how dare you? <laughs> you know, I'm here. Don't you wow. see me? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's really how it went. Yeah, that's amazing because you <laughs> proved to the world that you can make it. Yeah, <laughs> true. True. I mean, yeah. it, it was nothing to do with what I really loved. I think, you know, in that, that time and age, we didn't even get asked those questions. Like my parents didn't ask me, what, what do you want to do? What do you love? And all of that. You had like, you know, a, a playground to play within and you had to choose within the playground. And I picked this, but I just got fueled to go to a place because... I was uh, offended, you know, and I felt that uh, just because I'm a woman, he doesn't even think I have, you know, the ability to, to aspire to want to go to a school like that. And so that's how I made this decision. Okay, amazing. <laughs>
And now I know as well that you were diagnosed with a burnout in 2019 sure. and it got a huge impact on your journey, actually. Yes. Can you tell us about this part of your life? Yes. I mean, uh, you know, I used to say that it was one of the darkest chapters of my life. But honestly, I think it's probably one of the bestest things that happened to me. But, uh, you know, I did not know that burnout was a clinical diagnosis. I mean, we always say, right, oh, I got burned, oh, I'm burned out, I'm tired. Like, mm -hmm. I always thought yeah. it was a glamorous way of saying I'm exhausted. But just prior to being diagnosed, I was falling ill, physically ill, continuously for about a year. And before that, I was showing a lot of behavioral changes. Like, I generally, like, I'm an ambivert. I like to hang out with people. I like to be alone. I get energy from both. And I was then doing a job to build a team in a very cutting-edge space in oil and gas. And I had to, like, go to recruitment fairs. I had a team that was, like, around 50, 55 people at work. And I just didn't want to see people. And I knew that it's strange. But I, you know, I, I dismissed it because I think somehow the wiring is like you've come to a place in your life ticking off all the boxes and you tell yourself what like so you're tired now like what's happening like I think yeah. I, my inner voice could keep telling me that what am I ex exhausted for am I not supposed to go to the next level like you got to go you got to hustle you got to do this and this is the dream this is what I wanted and so I underplayed a lot of the emotional behavioral changes like becoming recluse feeling exhausted like I would sleep sometimes for 12 hours and still feel like, oh, oh my God, really? I'm so tired. And then I had this energy of being a little bit restless and edgy all the time. I became cynical. I started asking all these existential questions like, why am I in oil and gas? Like, what is this doing for the world? Like, what's the point of what I'm doing? And who am I? Like, what is my purpose? And, and so I felt very alone in this, like whatever was happening to me. And I still chose to ignore and immerse deeper into work. But then I started to fall physically ill. So at some point, you know, that's that's a good reason to go to a doctor, right? So then I went to a doctor for a full body check and nothing, everything was just fine. So then I confided in the doctor and then she said, you know, let's do a full hormone panel check. And it turned out that the hero ingredient was cortisol. And oh. my cortisol, which is the stress regulating hormone, it indicated that I'm operating in fight or flight, which is why doing anything normal was taking away from my energy. I was continuously acting or behaving like I'm under extreme stress. And so what I learned from her is if I'm not going to change my lifestyle to be more mindful, I will go to a place of chronic stress, which would then mean that I would need medication and external help. And I would struggle with simple dis decisions if I continued like that. Like if you said, uh, Suchi, do you want coffee or tea? I'd be like, I, I don't know, like choose whatever you want because your mind thinks you're just all the time. Every, every decision is a stressful oh, okay. one. So that scared me. And that's when I took a moment and I was like, how did I get here? Because I, I don't think I even was present with myself and living so much in autopilot, I think I, I didn't understand how I got there. So I, I just, you know, thought about it for a while. And I decided that, you know, in the game of life or the journey of mm -hmm. life, if I don't even know what is how I'm, I'm actually impacting my own well-being, then what's the point of all this? So I decided that I do want to take some time out to, like, understand 
what is happening with me. And so I decided to take a sabbatical because, mm-hmm. you know, I work for this incredible oil and gas company called Slumberjay and they had this, they have this benefit called personal development leave. And I'd never taken it in about 13 years of me Whoa. working there. So I decided, why don't I? And I took the sabbatical and I said, you know, I'm just going to show up for myself and find out like what, what is all this about? And how was it? And then I walked into the sabbatical and the first month was great. It was like December of 2019, I think, or November, December of 2019. And I um, basically it was Christmas, all the festive season. And I just slept a lot and it felt so good. Like it felt like, yes, I've made the bestest decision possible because it was very scary to make it. And when I made it, then I was like, yeah, pat, pat on my back. Like, this is really great. And in Jan, once life began and, you know, business as usual, everybody's back <laughs> to the rhythm of the grind, I suddenly started to recognize I wake up every day and I have like literally no purpose. Like there's no agenda. I don't have a team to go to. I don't have objectives. I don't have structure in my day. I don't have to be at work. I literally everything that I'm used to that defines my day is now gone So I started to have this recurring feeling of it's almost it almost felt like being in a depressed state because I was just every day thinking, like, what am I doing? Like, what what is my life? Like, what am I doing? And then it just got darker and darker. And I really gravitated towards going back to work. So I kind of spoke to my mentor and I said, you know, I had taken this break, but I don't think it's going well. Like, I think I'm ready to come back. And he didn't know that I was diagnosed with a burnout. I hadn't told many people because that was another thing. I didn't want people's opinions to stop me from taking the sabbatical. So I kind of tried to keep it very minimal. Like I made the decision. I told the few closest people in my circle and that was it. So then I didn't explain to him and he was like, that's great. And so he got me an opportunity right away. And I was like, yeah, that's it. I got excited. I'm like, I'm going to be free from this place. And then I came home and I, I just felt the the struggle of all my pain, you know, that my physical exhaustion, that how I, I can't even imagine myself waking up on time, being back in the structure, going in that rhythm. And that's when I realized that I'm actually not well, like I'm not feeling well from a like from a neuroscience, from a hormonal, mm-hmm. from an internal place. So then I I had to have a conversation again to tell him, you know what, this is what I'm actually going through. And I think I just don't feel comfortable in the unknown. And so I have to tell you the truth and say, I can't take this role. I really need to, I need to dive deeper. And so I said that. And then he said, why didn't you tell me this before? And it was a great conversation where I don't think I'd been that vulnerable with anyone at work. And then I decided, okay, now I'm really onboarding the sabbatical. I've constantly like, you know, offloaded or launched products and projects at work. Mm. I'm just going to call this project Suchi. And I don't know where to begin, but I'm going to have a (laughs) calendar full of things to do that's just going to be with me. And that's where I began. You know, I started with a simple thing of creating structure. So I would be like, wake up at 5 a.m. every day. It's a meeting in my calendar. You know, as I wake up, I catch the sunrise. I go to the exact same coffee shop. I grab my newspaper because I like reading physical paper. And I told myself that if I was meeting Eva, I was meeting a colleague at work, I wouldn't cancel. So if it's just me and I keep canceling on myself, then what am I wiring my brain 
that it means me as a as a as a attendee is not worthy i'm not worth it to for me to say oh it's only you suchi like i don't need to attend this meeting so i wanted to flex that part of my mind to say it doesn't matter it's me i i am foremost the most important to myself so if i'm attending this meeting i have to be there and so i did that for a lot of things i noticed that i had a lot of worry in the unknown so i scheduled like an hour two hours every day to worry and it's on my calendar it's a meeting with me where i have full freedom to worry for two full hours and then i would i set up a like a a training a, phys, a you know a gym a fitness session yeah. with a coach so now i have to stop worrying get ready and move my body and go to the gym so i kind of structured the day like that where now i have a plan i have a calendar i have meetings they're mostly with myself but i also wanted to create that repetition and consistency that I am building my self-worth because what I understood when I took the sabbatical is that I actually don't know who I am without my job title and salary. It felt so uncomfortable because I actually don't didn't know how to define my identity outside of my work. And that's why I was like that makes no sense. So if you took away my job, I really don't know who I am. when it should be the other way around mm-hmm. right yeah. you are you you know exactly what you bring to the table and it could be a gazillion other jobs or several other passions they all make you but i can't have one external thing defining me so this is how you know i got into the journey of looking inward and then one thing led to another to another and then i started to feel this shift inside and i was like what is this feeling and i was like i think this is happiness and so <laughs> So I had this realization you know I tend to control a lot of things in life I like to plan ahead I'm very organized and I wasn't doing any of those things I was just organized around going inward and so I realized that happiness has always been an inside job and I think that's how this chapter unfolded you know Wow yeah Thank you so much for sharing this deeper part of your life <laughs> and uh, after that you founded Inside and Out Yes so which is a mental fitness hub to help women to overcome burnout and pressure i think to flourish yes so how was the beginning of this new entrepreneurship journey you know the absolute beginning i would say was like pretty bad i think it was quite not bad but quite rough in the sense that I I knew that I landed on an ID because it was based on my journey. I definitely knew I saw the light in taking my pain and making it my purpose. And I knew I could do it because I've always been in tech and I wanted to build a, a tech solution, but at the same time this was my journey, so I was like it's marrying who I used to be into who I'm becoming and I was like this is going to be perfect. But you know, walking how you operate in a corporate environment and how you operate as an entrepreneur there's a lot of mindset differences yeah, you know i agree so i would say initially it was the id that was excitedly born but i got into things like the fear of the unknown the fear of failure the worry about oh my life today is so comfortable when i walk into this journey then where is my source of income going to be from uh, and then things like uh what am i going to tell people who were know me from the oil and gas and engineering world like that i've suddenly walked into mental fitness and people are going to think and also at that time 
today it's a lot more comfortable to speak about these things but at that time it still felt like this is very woo woo or like you've gone cuckoo or like something's <laughs> happened to her. so i was a bit even thinking those things like what are people going to think or how am i going yeah. to say this out loud and and then thinking about you know the fact that i'm going to go into a different space like a very different industry so that i think the fear of failing was very crippling for me like i just felt that i can't let that happen because being brought up in my in an indian household and the way my parents did it really felt like failure was not an option it was just something that you know we don't have that choice but it took me a, a long time to get past that because that led me to still staying like a a perfectionist and overthinker yeah. over analyzer over worrier and i just stayed so all these sabotaging voices they kept me there for a very long time so when you say start i wanted to say i didn't i had the idea and i didn't start for a long time because my mind was playing all these fun games you know and i <laughs> I needed to I I realized that I never saw them in my corporate life and then now I paid attention to how they're basically holding me back and I needed to work on those to get to a place where I was like that's it like we're going to do this. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. You took the decision. I took the decision, yeah. yes. So that's how I would describe my start, very anticlimax that I didn't start. My start was that I didn't start because I had a lot of these voices in my head that they kind of it was more about being worried about the the unknown that's what i would say okay thank you so much and what kind of challenges did you encounter at the beginning of the creation of inside and out when you yeah. started so i think once i started then i would say that uh, one of the first uh, few challenges was to find the right talent for me to to start working in the areas that i wanted to because i wanted to start a community on in the digital space and i in social media and i'm not a social media i was not a social media person and then i wanted to like little bit bring in someone to help me understand myself as a founder to build a brand identity to build a brand book to get the name for the brand so i focused a lot on foundationally building the brand because i wanted to speak like one language in one tone with clarity yeah. and i found that i think the idea was in my head but it was you know kind of spread and i would go in many different directions and i think being your own baby like you just want you just wanted to be all the great things so i wanted to tone that down and i decided that i would rather find the people who are great in those spaces to a guide me to assist me mm -hmm. so finding those right people to eventually land on okay what is my brand ethos like what is what is it that i want to stand for what's our mission statement what's my vision statement how am i building this community who am i talking to i spent a little time to do all of that because i felt that once that was clear then it just became much easier to build on top of that you know that's how i that's how i began and then i think it was just really about consistently being in action like not being uh, worried there was there's so many places like things like you know uh, writing content or like putting my face on camera or like what is a marketing slogan and what am i going to do about pr and like how am i actually putting a pitch deck together for uh, investors all of those things i would think about but before i would overthink and not do anything now i was like you know what one step at a time we keep moving forward and when we get there we I'll, i'll automatically find the right 
pieces that have to come together. So I just moved after I built the foundation, I moved on to just being in action. So I just created like, what are the first things that have to happen for MVP one? And I'm going to go and hit them and I'm going to keep being in action. Then I'll go to the next Then I'll go to the next. So I really had to talk myself out of that overthinking and perfectionism and all of those dialogues and say, no, we're just going to do it. Just do it. And then I'll keep iterating based on wherever I get stuck or wherever I feel I don't know what to do. And then somehow it works. Like everybody, <laughs> people show up, the universe conspires with you. Like things show up at the right time. As long as you're hustling in the right direction and making the effort and moving the needle. This is what I, I would say I went on once I started, truly started. This is how the journey panned out, you know. Yeah, amazing. I love this mindset because I think you don't have to wait for things to be done. Like you have to take the step exactly. and you will see after. Absolutely. Don't wait for the perfection. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's what I think. And so you have coached more than how many women actually? You women. Know? If you say women, maybe at this point I would say maybe 65 to 70 women oh, okay yes so yeah that's a lot that's a good beginning <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> including me actually yeah true <laughs> so actually with the women that you have coached what kind of obstacles uh you think women have in their life like face in their lives yeah you know um if i if i wasn't i would say yes there's a varied range of topics that generally I have covered depending on the age and the stage and where you are in life, right? But if I was to summarize for you, I would say that, you know, I think in the end, I feel like everyone and more so the high achieving woman today, uh, you're eventually working towards that very rare combination of where success meets happy. Like they have to, they have to be a marriage because I think women, I mean, we are not women per se, but we already have all these external frameworks of what success looks like. And so a lot of people now you, you're going and you're ticking them off and then you reach a place where you're either like feeling lost or you're empty or you're having this, uh, you know, uh, inner feeling of like, there's got to be more. Or, you know, I'm lacking clarity. Like, I don't, I, I, this doesn't feel like I'm satisfied or I'm feeling good inside. And I think it's just because success isn't just money and power. It has to be in combination with your inner blueprint. Like, it has to be, your success should be in alignment with your blueprint, right? And so I think that's what, what I would say as an overarching umbrella, I find like a lot of the high achieving women today, it's in the end, you're doing work to go to that place where success meets happy. It's a very, like a rare combination because you don't really, you see like a lot of hugely successful people are depressed or hugely successful people are lost or you're lacking purpose. But you find, in fact, there's a study, you know, that says that like top leadership is very aware of what an organization's purpose is, right? Like what's the purpose of this company? But the leaders themselves don't have an idea of their own purpose, which is why you're doing well financially. You're in a powerful place, but you feel completely like disconnected with yourself. You feel this lack of contentment or lack of being happy. Mm -hmm. And I find that this is this is a common thread. You could get there in different ways, like through relate, work on relationship, work on money, work on body. But in the end, you're that's what you're aspiring for. That very that very nice sweet spot that where you're also successful, you're also happy, and now you're 
kind of living fully alive like you're you're thriving you're not just like oh you know i'm i have everything but i have nothing like it's there's that feeling that's definitely i think one i would put it as a general umbrella but the other thing that i would say is i think i think you know we're universally obsessed with love like it's just you're obsessed with love yeah. right i mean we are <laughs> so i think we're universally obsessed with love i find that it's a very common you know second topic that's always always there always existent and the only thing i find with you know playing this part of co-conspiring with somebody to guide them to look inward is that we're always talking about the one and we're always talking about you know the other person that's involved in in the equation of mm-hmm. relationship partnership love but i find the real magic is when you go in when you look within to see how are you showing up and what are you bringing to the table so that's where i would say that the conversation is always around love but it's i i enjoy the process of flipping it back into you because when you're learning to fill your cup when you're learning to unpack the things that you know aren't really serving you when you're learning to relearn the things that are your strengths and what you bring to the table then you attract automatically in the same wavelength you you easily are vi- you're vibrating in that energy that is very easy to attract people in the same space so that's the ch- that's what i do but i feel love as a subject it's just i think we're all universally obsessed so it's a very common common space that i'm i'm always finding is a conversation with all all the clients yeah yeah amazing i agree <laughs> and um after that so as a coach in your opinion because i see too why do women have a more complicated relationship to money than men things like this so all of these like limiting negative beliefs about money right so basically now money has a very negative connotation or a negative energy yeah exactly so al- already you're setting up the child's mind or the the girl's mind to say this is a bad somehow this is a bad thing like there's something bad associated with speaking about money or like thinking about money right but i also think that there's it's not i think it's a fact that there's a huge amount of um parenting where at a certain point in your life parents choose to not talk to girls about you know uh what does it mean to be financially free or what does it mean to be able to invest your money in various ways to be able to build your own sense of independence what does it mean to uh to actually find a partner that is based on healthy love and connection and not on you know the the fact that you're depending yeah. on them and then later on your sense of freedom is lost these are not conversations we have from a young age with girls parents automatically you know you you tend to have these conversations with boys because men are more boys are more in these spaces right like you're going off to become like say an investment banker working in a financial institution you're maybe a tax accountant like you're encouraged to take on a lot of these professions but women you really have to have the right parenting the right setup to say i am going to go be that but majority of the household with with girls parents it's not parents but it's just culture you don't talk to your girl child about money and money management and then you grow up and you reach a place where when you go to work like you're building a career right first of all you're not paid as much as a guy for the same that's job that's true 
Second, if you land up asking for money, then people slot you as somehow that, wow, that's that's just so unladylike or that's not a nice behavior. You don't ask or you don't talk shop. You don't talk about money. It's not a womanly thing to do. And then we have our limiting beliefs around mm-hmm. money being evil and money being, you know, too much of money doesn't make you yeah. happy and all of that. So we also have those. And then Finally, when you come to the point where, okay, what do you do with the money you're making? You have complete lack of knowledge because you have been discarded from all the conversations that talk about how to save money, how to build wealth, how to invest, how to kind of do different things with your money that allow for you to, to be able to feel comfortable with it as a resource that's powerful. So I think this is why women have a different relationship with money, because then when you are put in the place where you have to start watching your money it's too overwhelming you know like all of the jargon is just like what are you talking about and you don't want to get into those conversations because you feel scared and you feel like I don't understand any of this I don't know what they're talking about and so you exit the room you exit those conversations but it starts from a very young age because we are not considered that we should be speaking to and Also, our duty or role is to be married, is to be a mom, is to play all of those domestic project manager roles. So you're even more disconnected from money talk. And I think that's why we have this, you know, uh, uncomfortable relationship, because when we finally come into the awareness, it's a little too late and we get overwhelmed. But that being said, it's never late and it's about time. And I think all women should talk money and mums and dads should talk to their kids girl kids from a very young age on the practical lessons of how to make money how to save money how to invest your money what else to diversify with your money because financial freedom is an essential it's an essential to live a good life yes totally i agree yes and it's the goal actually it's the goal (laughs) yes really you know you you want to you want to find the love of your life and all those good things but i think if you're not financially independent it completely lopsides the equation and on a lot of other things that are important to you okay thank you so much for sharing all of this and finally to end this interview can you share with us a mantra or a code that helps you to move forward every day yes so I'm just going to share with you where I'm, what I currently this is my current chapter in life okay so I am in a place where I have the perfectionism and the overthinker in me. I've decided that, yes, they served me in my past life. They were good to me. I needed them in an analytical engineering world. But now I'm like, look, we need to amicably separate. I am not interested in this relationship anymore. So I'm kind of divorcing from perfectionism and I'm working at it. So I have come to this place where now I tell myself, I remind myself whenever my brain overthinks or goes back into that perfectionism place that I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do this and then I'm going to surrender. Meaning I'll just do my part and then surrender the sense of control and you know how are they going to receive it and what's going to happen. Instead, based on feedback, I'll iterate again. Then I'll do it and then I'll iterate again. So I've come to this place where I've stopped wanting to listen to those voices and I just want to do it. So I just do what I have to do and then I surrender. So, you know, there's a, a great philosophy called Amor Fati. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but Amor Fati just means love your faith. So my current phase is that, Eva, where I don't want to go backwards. I don't want to go forwards. I just want to accept my journey as is at the pace that it is 
I want to keep moving forward and I want to love all of it. The pain, the good, the hard, the difficult. I just want to love all of it. And that's where I'm at. Amor Fati. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here for this interview. It was really inspiring and enriching for me. It's, I learned a lot of things. I think the others too. Yeah. So thank you so much. And thank you for being here with us today. It was a pleasure. And I see you very soon for our next episodes.